Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Great to be with you once again here on Private Club Radio. Really excited for today's episode. We've got Jeff Morgan, CEO of the CMAA. Jeff will be on to discuss some recent research the Club Managers Association of America conducted on millennials. We'll find out what they learned and how your club can put it to good use to start attracting some younger members to your club. Marketing to millennials is a subject near and dear to my heart. As you probably know, I've been speaking quite a bit about that subject. I was at the Florida Club Summit last year. I was out in Thailand at the Asia Pacific Golf Summit giving a keynote on marketing to millennials. And I'm already booked this year to go up to Pittsburgh to speak at the Great Lakes Regional Conference. It's a CMAA regional event up there. We'll be speaking about marketing to millennials. So really excited to have Jeff on because I want to hear what he has to say and learn what the CMAA found out. I read through some of the research and it looked like there are some great insights. Stay tuned after Jeff Morgan because we're going to have another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners, where we speak with real board members about real board issues. We're joined, as always, by Peter Nanula, and we'll also be joined today by Rich High of Crestview Country Club to find out what happened over there and how they got through some difficult times there over at Crestview. So as a lot of you know, this show is done out in Tampa, Florida, and you probably also know that the national championship game was held in Tampa, Florida this year, and I got really lucky. About a year ago, I put my name into the lottery, and I was able to win four tickets to the national championship game. Man, was that a great game between Alabama and Clemson. I'm sure you probably saw it, but if you didn't, I wanted to just play a little clip of audio from right from the stadium. I was about 20 yards away from that final play where Deshaun Watson threw the game-winning touchdown with one second left on the clock. And so I just wanted to play you this clip. I think it'd be something fun and different to do just to give you an idea of the electricity that was happening in the stadium. It was pretty intense. Here's the moment of the touchdown. You can hear the screams. It was pretty wild. It was intense. That's the best way I can put it. That must be the sound in the boardrooms when membership has been capped. That's the only thing I can imagine, right? Anyway, it was a great night. The bands from Alabama and Clemson were awesome, and the fans were just electric all night long. Pretty, pretty cool. So there's one big announcement that I want to drop on today's episode. I'm really excited to let you know that on March 31st, I'll be releasing my new book, The Definitive Guide to Membership Marketing. So this guidebook is really meant for membership directors, general managers, people sitting on the membership committee, anyone who's tasked with membership at a club. And what it is, I put together my proven strategies. I 
put together some best practices from clubs all across the country and some of those disruptive ideas that you hear at some of my keynote presentations. All that's in there. Here are a few things that you're going to learn. You're going to learn the new rules of private club membership marketing. Things have changed even in the last five to 10 years, and you need to know what those are. You'll get the 25 statistics that every membership director and committee member needs to know frontwards and backwards. Those 25 things will be in the book. How about proven tactics to attract millennial members? If that interests you, that's in the book. And how to choose where and when to advertise. I'm going to give you all those secrets as well. That and a lot more. If you want to pre-order the book and get a copy in your hands before it hits the rest of the general public, go to privateclubradio.com slash book. You can pre-order your copy today. All right, without further ado, let's bring on the man himself. It's time to bring on Jeff Morgan, CEO of the CMAA. Jeff, it's great to have you back on the show with us here on Private Club Radio. And I wanted to talk to you about some research that you've put out in conjunction with the Center for Generational Kinetics. On your website, cmaa.org slash millennials, we've got a white paper and also an infographic called Uncovering Generational Attitudes About Club Memberships. I'd love to have you walk us through this research. And the first question I want to ask you, Jeff, is why did you think that this research and this information was so important to get out there? Sure. Well, I think starting out, CMA has, you know, there's lots of research that goes on in the club industry and CMA really has not been a source of, of doing original research before. And this is an area that I feel very strongly about. And so, um, you know, it also came up during our strategic planning process. So in the process of us moving into research, we wanted to do uh, a big project every year. And one of our pain points for our members is generations and making sure that, that they, as clubs, you know, appeal to, to all the various generations. I mean, if you, if you go with that as a mindset, it's then the next question is, well, what do all the generations really want and what do they really think? And so much of the conversation um, in clubs is people's beliefs, um, people's, you know, anecdotal thoughts about it. And there really has never been any research that has been done focused on you know, take, taking a point in time and saying, what do, gener- what do different generations think about clubs? So last year, um, we had a millennial speaker speak at conference, and that was also by design to sort of kick off this subject. And um, that got such good um, feedback, and so many people wanted more, that while we had in the back of our mind of doing this study, um, it was then very much, we have to do this study. So we engaged um, that millennial firm that is a research firm, the Center for Generational Kinetics, um, as our uh, you know company to do our research. And so they do consumer research companies for major retail brands and hotels and everybody else. So we really wanted somebody outside the club industry focused on doing um, valid survey to say, what do generations want? And, you know, using that then hopefully um, with our members and with our our boards of clubs to use it as a, a talking point during their strategic planning and just in general to say, you know, what's valid here? What's not valid here? How does this apply to our club? 
and hopefully being used as a conversation starter. So it's not just anecdotal, uh, but you really have some scientific evidence or views of what uh, different generations think about clubs. Yeah, very nice. It looked like it was about a 25-question survey that you put out. Where did you actually find these millennials that you interviewed and got this information from? Well, and that's exactly why we hired a research firm, because we wanted people that... um, So we worked on the questions together. We had a research committee. Um, So the research committee of CMA and the board and staff worked on the questions. And, um, you know, we used the, the research firm to to help frame some questions based on other studies they had done, as well as to make sure that the the questions were valid. And then they were the ones that went out to a, you know, a broad spectrum of people. And then they narrowed it down into people that were either current club members or people that were inclined to join a club. And we qualified what a club is. Um, So it covers all our our membership-based um, clubs in the sense of uh, yacht clubs, city clubs, golf clubs, country clubs. So it really touches all different types of clubs. Um, so, you know, that that's where we went. And what came back was a very statistically valid plus or minus 3% um, you know, research report on those 25 questions of which we've released a portion of that. And there'll be more to come in the first of the year in different formats, uh, talking, you know, getting information out about, uh, you know, what different generations think on a couple of different topics. And I can go into that later on. Yeah. And just to remind listeners, this research and this information is right on their website. You can check it out for yourself. want to remind you that the website is cmaa.org slash millennials. Now, Jeff, my next question for you is a simple one, but it is, out of this research, what was the most interesting thing that you guys found? Well, I guess I would go back to, um, I have a letter that I found in our archives dating back to 1993. And it basically says that clubs are dying because we have this new generation coming in and pushing their weight around and saying that they want different types of things in the clubs and it's going to kill clubs. Well, that generation that was pushing its weight around was the baby boomers. And lo and behold, now 15, 20 years later, gee, clubs have changed, but there's, they, they certainly have not died. Um, you know, and in essence, clubs are, are serving a broader audience. And so you know, as we move forward, we're at that same inflection point where we have millennials coming in and really pushing their weight around because they're a very large generation like baby boomers. And they are saying that, hey, we like clubs, we're really interested in them, but there needs to be some tweaks to to really make it worth our our time and really do what we wanted to do. So I think that was for me sort of the the aha moment is that, you know, we think we all have different impressions of our, our different generations and millennials you can sometimes say Oh, they would never join clubs, but in essence, they they're very interested in clubs, which was great. Uh, but it just has to be a little bit different than what they've had before. Sure. Now, Jeff, what would you say to folks who look at millennials as a generation that's way, way, way down the road? Something they don't have to worry about right here and right now. Their membership is good. It's made up of sixty to seventy year olds, and those millennials are so far away. What would you say to someone that says that? I would say that's really short sighted. Um, you know, as, as managers of clubs and as boards of clubs, yes, we all get older every day, but 
your your goal is to continue to push down the age of your average age of your membership. So, you know, while our core members may be people that are you know, baby boomers, or as you say, an average age of 50 or 60, you know, these folks, the, the millennials are the largest workforce in the United States now, and they have a considerable amount of, of economic power as well. So at the, at the earliest, some of these are just graduating college, but at the latest, um, you have people that are very solidly in their career in their mid thirties. So these are prime targets to, to join clubs. And, you know, I would make the argument that any age is a prime age to, to join clubs, but you know, these folks, as we think of traditional, you know, members of clubs, you know, they're very much, you know, hitting their prime. And so, you know, for somebody to say we, they're far away, they really aren't. Yeah. I'm right there with you, Jeff. I totally agree. Now, if there was one thing that you would say could make the most impact on attracting millennial members to a club right now today, what would that be for you, Jeff? Well, I think with any of this research, um, clubs today ha- are evolving on very different paths. I think when we look 50 years ago, when we looked at an image of a country club or a, a yacht club, it was a, or a city club, it was always the same. And now today, clubs are each club has its own unique identity and is evolving in its own unique way. And so, I, I think to have a discussion on millennials or on on anything, we need to understand who are our members who are our potential members and what demographic, you know, who do we serve? So in, for most clubs, you take an area of 10 to 15 miles from their club, say a country club, that is really the target zone. So we really need to start with an understanding of, you know, what are we competing with? Um, You know, this is, this is really focused on an active club members or active lifestyle type folks, generally speaking. So what are we competing with? What are we competing with restaurants? What are the, what's the school situation, you know, all those various things. And so really it starts with an understanding of, you know, who do we serve? Who do we want to serve? And then this conversation of millennials layers in and some things may stand up as being very important and other things may not be as important. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. But if there was just one thing out there, Jeff, if there was one thing from what you've seen in the data and what you've been able to extrapolate from this research, what would it be that could make the biggest impact for clubs today? Well, the, the website, I think, is something for millennials that, you know, and really for all of us, we're moving there. Um, you know, we, we, we run a, a challenge with our website of being able to, to share information about the club. And the same with social media, and the the and so this is an area that clubs can really focus on today and take good exa- take examples of of good cases where clubs are using their website to to not really advertise but help people understand how that club fits into the community, what benefits it offers. Um, use social media to to share the story of the club members, and I think that is an area that. You know, clubs have been traditionally shying away from, but as we open up our our doors to the community, it's a great way to tell the story, and it's very it's something we can all do um, without a lot of extra expense. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And for listeners of this show, regular listeners, they know I went on a big rant about websites a couple weeks back, and the trend in tr- private clubs is that 
we put nothing out there. We put no information. And the excuse is always that, oh, well, we're a private club and we don't want to put ourselves out there for the world to see. So I'm really glad you mentioned this. What would be your advice, Jeff, to clubs that have that similar sort of mindset? Well, the, there is a lot of conversation about, you know, because we are nonprofits and under a, a certain section of the IRS regulations, we have to be concerned about maintaining our private club status. And different lawyers and different legal advice will give you different views on that. But my belief is there's a lot of good examples out there of clubs that are that sit in that category, but use the web and get the word out. Um, in very public ways about their club and avoid the advertising mantle. You know, we're not out there looking for members. What we're doing is telling the story of the club or the club members, and that is for the common good of the community. And so I see no reason where putting the history of the club or what the club has to offer um, in the way of their portfolio of assets being advertising. It is, you know, it is a community. It's a part of the community Every business puts out there and, and says what they're doing. Why shouldn't clubs too? So, you know, I think you know it really comes down to the lawyers scaring a lot of people. And <laughs> yeah. you know, I mm-hmm. I, I tend to, to listen to the lawyers that you know view advertising. You know, you know, really is what is core advertising and what else? What is public awareness? Yep. Well said, Jeff. And I think there's a big distinction that needs to be made between what's advertising and what's marketing. And what's putting yep. out good content that's valuable. Yep. I think there's a big difference there. Clubs can put out content that's unique and that's valuable tips and tricks and maybe the golf tip of the week, for instance. And in those cases, maybe you're doing some soft, very subconscious advertising, but it's not in your face. And I don't think that that's anything that a club needs to worry about. Now, Jeff, next question for you. You found in your research that it's not necessarily money that's holding millennials back from joining private clubs. What did you find in your research actually is? Well, from a, from a millennial standpoint, it's lifestyle is number one is, you know, does my lifestyle, that active lifestyle fit, you know, in, you know, does, does how I go about my life fit in with the, the, the club world? And, you know, I, I would say that as we look at clubs, you know, club is about an active lifestyle. Club is about, being part of a social fabric or a community. And both of those are very appealing to millennials. Now, I think the interesting thing that came out of this study is uh, millennials view clubs as also a way to help them professionally. And so this is an area that traditionally we have not really um, pushed in clubs or been very quiet about, you know, and it's somewhat taboo of sort of professional networking and that type of thing. And so I think all of those, you know, the lifestyle is the core thing of whether a millennial fits or not, but then ultimately the millennials want more out of clubs than, than lifestyle and being part of a community. They also, you know, want the ability for it to fit, you know, professionally to help them. Yes, I agree 100% with you there. So what types of things would clubs be doing to add to that? Would it be things like professional networking events? What sorts of things should they be doing then, Jeff? So in the clubs that you know, we have seen, and as we've shared some of this, you know, probably the, the best example that was told, told to me by one of our, our members was if I'm on a treadmill um, in the fitness center in a club, the person on the left of me may hire me and the person on the right I may hire. So what they do is everything for 
people not to just get to know each other personally, but also create an awareness of what they do professionally. So they don't necessarily, you know, push professional networking and in the sense of formalizing it, but they do it informally so that people understand, um, you know, who, who I'm with when I'm on the golf course or, or in the restaurant or in the fitness center of, of a club. Yeah, I like that idea. I always like to know the background of people when I get paired up with somebody, for instance. Love that type of stuff. Yep. The first thing you ask anybody when you're playing with them for the first time is, where are you from? What are the things you're interested in? So a shortcut like that, I think, is fantastic. All right, so what types of things, when we talk about amenities, are millennials looking for, Jeff? What did you see there in your research? Well, first, um, they want to, across really all the generations, but particularly in millennials, they want to be with people their own age. Um, You know, and as we dug into the research, uh, this is an area where clubs may offer golf tournaments or offer other ways for people to get together, but you know, by generation or by people of my own age aren't necessarily something that we all think about. So this is something that is very important to millennials and it's actually breaks down into gender too. And we, you know, there was a question in the survey uh, asking women what they wanted and, you know, they definitely, regardless of what life stage they're in, meaning married, not married with kids, without kids, they really want to be with people, you know, of their own age and similar interests. So I think this is something that, you know, as we evolve, it's a good discussion area among club, you know, club staff and club boards about who are our constituents and how are we serving them. The second thing that uh, millennials wanted, which I think surprised everybody, but maybe not really, is you know they want a, a place for they want this private place that they can go, which is really what the appeal is for a club. It is a private, you know, you are a member of a of a private uh, entity, and so this is appealing to millennials. And I think when we look at millennials being very experienced oriented and really liking to like to share their experiences and like that, that they are doing unique things. You know, a club fits into that, that, that mantra of being someplace special and being an experience that not everybody can have. So I think that's part of the appeal for clubs. Yeah. For for millennials. I think that social status is often downplayed when it comes to millennials. I think that's something that's extremely important to millennials when it's not just about the career you have, but also the potential match that might be out there. I think it's a big, big issue for millennials. Yep. Now, another question for you, Jeff. I'm 36, for instance. And when I play golf on Saturdays, I'm generally playing with guys who are in their 50s because that's the average age at my club. So how do clubs begin to get younger? Is there a formula that you've seen? I'm not sure there's any silver bullet here. I think it's it depends on the club, um, you know, and it depends upon understanding what amenities they they have and what they can offer. So, for instance, if you're playing golf on a on a weekend, you know, maybe it starts with you know slicing out every once a month to do pairings by age. Um, if you're doing random pairings, or maybe it makes sense to do a tournament for younger people. Um, you know, millennials, and maybe in that tournament, you would mix it up some and maybe put music on the golf course, sure. um, you know, and things like that. So 
you you push that experience. And so I think it's for any club, there's a certain amount of trial and error. There's not, here's the formula you follow, and this is what, you know, this is going to lead you to success. And while there are some markers, you know, some signs that point you towards what you think is success, this is really how clubs are going to evolve very differently going forward because you are going to evolve based upon who, what members you serve and, and what they want. Fantastic, Jeff. And I just want to remind those listening today that this research is readily available on the CMAA website at cmaa.org slash millennials. Jeff, you mentioned experience, and that's something that is extremely important to millennials. In your report, you call it customization. But I want to ask you about experiences. What did you find out during your research? The, you know, some of it comes down, and really at the starting point, is it comes down to you know, millennials are saying it starts with membership. Um, they want to know or they want to be able to have um, a membership experience customized for them. So the way we do that in clubs is different, different types of membership levels. And the millennials are probably going to push that. And while we may only right now have two or three types of, of membership, I think that may expand. I mean, you may have a junior membership that evolves into a, you know, a young executive membership that evolves into a, a middle management membership that ultimately involves evolves into a full membership. So, you know, it is a way to, you know, if there is a, uh, initiation fee, there is a way to spread that over many years based upon that person's income level. Um, in addition, uh, millennials are telling us, well, family number one is extremely important. Um, millennials are very focused on if I am going to join a club, I'm really thinking about this from a family basis. So that is that that is a piece that to, to make sure that we are appealing to to, to everybody in that potential family unit, whether that millennial is married. And we, and as we all know, millennials are getting married later and later in life. So, you know, joining a club, you know, if you haven't come up through as, as a, as, as, as a child and a, a college person, and then into clubs, you know, you're, you're probably just starting your family um, when you're thinking of a club. So this is your, your resort away from, you know, in your hometown, your resort away from where you spend your time, you know, in your own house. So your, your club wants to appeal to all those aspects. Probably the other thing that is important for millennials that came out in the research is oftentimes uh, in clubs, as we're trying to customize the membership experience, you know, there are add-on fees and those add-on fees may be lessons or or other things that, that are available to me as a club member. And what the millennials are saying is that I'm on a, a fixed budget. I need to manage my money. Experiences are very important, but I don't want to get into something and then find that it's, it's, it's that plus, plus, plus. Right. So give me the fee and help me understand what it's really going to cost me so that I can truly make that, that judgment of whether this fits my lifestyle or not. And I think this has come about you know, partly because millennials are the first generation that probably have a lot of student debt um, if they went to college that mm -hmm, they're carrying. Right. And so they need to balance all of that, but they really rate that experience as important. So it's a matter of them saying, how do I balance all this and make sure that, that I can afford it? 
and 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 enjoy it. Right. Absolutely. Now you also found some deal breakers for millennials. What are those when it comes to this generation? Well, one of them is, uh, you know, the cost and, um, some of the others, you know, included, um, am I with people that are, you know, and some of these we've already touched, um, you know, am I with people like that are like myself? So am I, you know, am I, am I fitting into, um, you know, just as you said, where, you know, you're 35, but you look at all the members as being over, over 55 or 60. So that is, um, a concern, but I think some of the other things are where does my club fit, um, from a location standpoint to my home and work. Um, and this is, you know, we look at clubs in general as being in a footprint of 10 to 15 miles away. So, um, you know, that is our, our focus area. You know, one of the other areas that I think millennials are focused on that the research shows that is something that we need to continue to evolve in clubs. And that is, um, how I bring, you know, how I'm able to bring guests in, yep. um, is there a limit, you know, on how many guests I can have come and play with me on the golf course or come and use the tennis facility or pool facility? How does that work? And does that fit into not only being fair and making sure it is exclusive as a private club, but also, um, you know, fitting in with my lifestyle. And probably the last thing that, you know, I was pleased to see is that one of the, the areas that we are, um, focus on in clubs is making sure our grounds and our building and ever the experience is top notch. And millennials are agreeing with that, that they do want um, uh, well-maintained grounds. They want well-maintained facilities and they, they, they appreciate that. So I think that is, you know, all of this points to very positive signs um, for millennials coming into clubs. And so those were some of the deal breakers. Yeah. So would you say you're bullish on things then, Jeff? Oh, I'm extremely bullish. I mean, I think from my standpoint, in looking at this, we have been on this journey um, with baby boomers for clubs to become much more family focused and really evolve from just being, for instance, very golf focused to, 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 to serving members from an active lifestyle in all various different ways. And I think this just continues down that evolution. This is not blowing clubs up and rebuilding them. This is just incremental changes. One of the, the things that came out of the research was millennials want to be very social at the club. So there's simple things like putting cornhole in, um, in the patio, uh, of a club so that people can, you know, drink a beer and not to have to sit at the bar and go out and be active and play cornhole with their, either their family or their friends or their buddies. And, you know, and so that is a easy thing to do, natural extension of what a club has to offer. And it's things like that that make me very bullish on on where we're going because these are not blow it up and start over. It's just a natural progression. And we just need to, as we do our strategic planning in clubs, say, what should we be doing? And, you know, how how do we continue to evolve the club to, to serve the members? Yeah, I love that. As you know, I speak across the country about millennials. And what I tell clubs in some of these groups is that 
you as a club have all the ingredients for success, all the things that millennials want. You just need to find it and make it a focus. And yep. you've done that for us today, Jeff. So thank you very much. Now, Jeff, before you leave us, there's one more question I wanted to ask you. You've got your International World Conference coming up, the 90th CMAA World Conference on Club Management and the Business Expo in Orlando, Florida. Can you give us a little taste of what you're looking forward to with that conference? Yeah, so so the conference is coming up uh, the beginning of February, and it's in CMA's World Conference. And registrations, I was just downstairs and saw the registrations coming in fast and furious. And um, we have some some good general uh, session speakers, and um, you know we're really excited about the content. I mean, one of the challenges we have every year is we put out a call for requests, and I think this year they're called the the number of requests that came in was over two hundred requests to speak, and ultimately wow. we don't have that many slots, so we have to tell a lot of people you know, we're sorry that they're, you know, the committee, there's a selection committee. Um, so we were unable to pick you, but, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of good sessions. Um, you know, I can tell you from a general session standpoint, um, you know, we have one general session that will be, um, very physical. Um, so I'll leave that as a, as a question mark for you to say, what do you mean by very physical? (laughs) Um, but, um, you know, that's sort of a teaser. Um, we have another uh, gentleman that um, was is a world traveler speaking that talks about you know his trips to to both poles, um, the South Pole and the North Pole. Nice. And and then uh, uh, Sheila Johnson, who is uh, uh, not only an entrepreneur, her husband was uh, the founder and uh, of BET Television, but she is uh, very integrated into the, the golf community as well as the hospitality community. She has her own. Um, uh, g- group of of inns, um, you know, like where you stay, like hotels, boutique hotels. Okay, yeah. Um, and she's also a member of the USGA's uh, board of governors, so she's speaking as one of our general session speakers. And I think everybody will find that uh, very interesting as well. But beyond that, there is lots of education. Um, there's always, you know, lots of things to do from a networking standpoint, and. Um, you know, we have great exhibitors that is sold out and we have a waiting list. Um, so, uh, you know, it's going to be a great conference. It sure is. I'm looking forward to it and seeing you over there. Once again, want to let everyone know that the world conference is in Orlando on February 7th through the 11th. That's just in a couple weeks. Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show. Once again, it was great to have you. Thank you. Appreciate it too. And now it's time for board chats. Presented by Concert Golf Partners. A behind-the-scenes look inside real boardrooms with special guest Peter Nanula. Welcome to another edition of Board Chats presented by Concert Golf Partners where we discuss real board issues with real board members. As always, we are joined by Peter Nanula of Concert Golf Partners. Peter, how is it going over there at Concert Golf these days? Hey, thanks for having me, Gabe. Um, busy, busy. We've got three new member-owned clubs that are about to join our group. And so uh, all hands on deck this Christmas while you're out Christmas shopping. <laughs> and I hear you're taking a trip overseas there with your family. Yeah, looking forward to getting away with my bride for our 25th anniversary. Yep. Peter, why board chats? Why are we doing this? What, 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 what are we bringing to the table here for folks? 
Yeah, for those of you who haven't tuned in, I really have been enjoying these sessions with folks like Rich, who you'll hear from in a moment, who are you know running boards of their club. And there's not a lot of content available out there about strategy, the, the quiet conversations in the boardroom about capital, about funding capital improvements at your club, about managing debt, frankly, about how to manage the club when no one around the board table is an expert at you know, owning and operating clubs. So these conversations have been great, you know, from my perspective, and I hope everyone benefits. Well, I'm enjoying them as well. And I now want to bring on Rich High, who is the former board president at Crestview Country Club in Wichita. You recently went through a process to inject fresh capital. So I want to first ask you about that, Rich. Tell me a little bit about that process at your club. Uh, Yes. Good morning to you, Gabe. And uh, Peter, again, good morning. you know, where we were at, as far as the membership goes, that's the self and the only real generation of capital to keep the club going. And and there was a time pass where we had a large amount of, uh, of uh, members and our capital was never an issue. In fact, we were doing so well, uh, we went out and, and redid a, our championship course, 18 holes, and put, put us into... Uh, a significant debt, thinking we would be able to pay our way out. And as things go, the economy went south and the capital was no longer there as the membership dwindled. And now we're trying to service a multi-million dollar loan, which all we can do is meet the principal on a monthly basis and just keep kicking the can down the road, uh, literally out of capital to do anything for the club. And that's kind of where we were at at that particular time, uh, back in mid, well, early 16, when I happened to uh, have the opportunity to meet with Peter Nanula. And what were some of the options that you were considering at that time? Well, we were really uh, getting, and I can tell you when I took over as the president of the club, and I'd been on the board, um, and just be real honest, we had a general manager that was telling us one thing and the reality was a totally different thing. When I became president, one of the first things that happened, I was absolutely shocked when uh, we had to go out and write a person, get a personal note signed to, to meet payroll, meaning the checks had been sent out and we didn't have enough in the bank to cover the, the payroll for the staff. That's scary. To me, that was uh, eye-opening, if not eye-watering. Uh, when I realized the financial status wasn't what I thought it was. And the more I dug into it, the more I realized, holy crap, we've got to do something. Mm -hmm. And so we were looking at selling some of the property. We were looking at um, literally any way to recapitalize the club, uh, whether it was going out and getting, you know, some of our more well-to-do members to volunteer to pay a number of years dues forward. We had done that once before. We had gone to the bank to see what we could do as far as the note to see if we could you know, reprocess it in some way. Bottom line, uh, we had to start cutting services, upset members, more people left. It was just getting into a death spiral where we were going. And as I contacted people, talking with other clubs, uh, 
I happened to come across this guy by the name of Peter Nanu. It was a real roundabout process. A, A member gave me a number to call somebody in Alabama who gave me a number to call in Arizona who gave me a number that turned out to be Peter's. And Wow. Uh, when I first heard Peter explain what concert golf was about, it, it hit me at that point. This is the answer. This is the fix. This is absolutely what we need to do. So. Now, beyond that debt and those capital expenditures, you had some management issues as well. What did you see in concert golf that they could provide to help you with some of those management issues? We 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 were struggling, you know. And again, I think it comes from an and my background. Uh, Navy. I did 35 years in the Navy and uh, leadership, and and it was really apparent. We just didn't have the right leadership to move the club in the direction that we wanted. Um, There were a lot of positive things about Crestview, but we were unable to exploit them. We didn't have a marketing team, which Concert brought to the table. We didn't have a true club manager, which Concert uh, brought to the table. We didn't have a membership director, which concert brought. So it was just all of those things mm-hmm. that we were missing that we were in dire need of. And we were never going to move forward unless we were going to put that kind of organization together. And again, I go back, we had zero capital. I mean, we were servicing our debt on a monthly basis. And that's about as far as we could go. If we'd have had any kind of major malfunction, uh, building collapse, whatever, um, we'd have been dead in the water. We wouldn't have gone any further. So I think our biggest issue was leadership. We had a general manager again that uh, we ended up uh, letting go because, you know, he just didn't have the answer. And of course, when Peter came in uh, and we talked about all of these things, I could see that concert, you know, had a fix in for every one of our issues. Hey, Rich, this is Peter, if you don't mind me jumping in here. Um, I'm always curious. So you get a phone call and hear about this, and I speak to you. Then you tell other board members and other members about this as an option. What what were people's reactions, and what were those first discussions like around the board table and around the club about having an outside partner like us? Right. Well, the first thing is, you know, we had a board of made up of – 12 board members uh, from varying backgrounds. We had, uh, you know, all businessmen uh, from insurance to real estate to construction, um, you know, a wide variety of of backgrounds. And there were about three or four that I knew rather well. Uh, There were about another three or four that I didn't know that well. And I and I just felt like they probably didn't line up with what my opinion was. So I took the three or four that I really trusted, and I said, let's get on the phone with Peter, and I want you to hear what he told me, because what he told me has convinced me we need to push this further. So we had that conversation with you, Peter, if you remember. They immediately felt the same way I did. And then the four of us went back to the rest of the board and explained this is what we're thinking about doing. And I think the immediate reaction and a number of the board members own property on the golf course proper, if you will. In other words, their house is butted up against one of the two 18 hole uh, golf courses. 
And they were, oh my God, there goes a property, you know, we'll sell it, they'll sell it to somebody else, it'll be developed into, you know, anything from a cow pasture to, uh, you know, Walmart, and there goes our housing property, and uh, and I said, listen, you know, everything that I've talked about to Peter is absolutely 180 out of what you think it is. You need to hear Peter, you need to hear his story, let him come out here to press you present a slideshow to the board and we can go from there. And so that's what we had you do, Peter, if you remember. And I think at that point I had the board convinced, Hey, okay, you know, we know we're in serious situation here. We're open to listening. And when you came out and made that pitch that eliminated those fears of the board members who own property. And of course the other big part of this, Peter, is you gave us a listing of people, the contact that had already gone through this process. And we did. And of course, the thing that was really interesting, and since I've talked to uh, board members from other clubs that have yet to go through this process. And the story was almost identical every time. Mm-hmm. You know, upset members, the dwindling membership. We can't cover our, uh, we can't service the debt. We don't have capital improvement capability. Our golf course is deteriorating. Our membership is, you know, dying. We have this wonderful facility. We can't, you know, keep it operating. So, you know, with that, and all we heard each and every time was positive. Oh, man, after we did concert, it, it all got fixed. It all became better. Nice, nice. So what ended up happening at your club then? Well, Peter came out. <clears throat> the board... Absolutely convinced the board. We went out and did our due diligence. We contacted other clubs. We contacted other board members. And it's funny, some of the most bigger bigger detractors that uh, our board members that were more against it were the ones that probably did the homework better than anyone else. And they came back and reported to the board, I can't find anybody that's got anything negative to say. <laughs> wow. And And a couple then went to other properties had a couple members who were, oh my gosh, when they found out I was dealing with this, that we were talking about, you know, going to concert. I mean, they called me names. They said I was being subversive to the membership of the club, that I was sneaky, underhanded. Uh, you know, it was no fighting words, but they were ugly. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, you guys go down and we happen to have a club here three hours away. Um, in Gallardia in Oklahoma city. And they went down there and those two became two of our biggest, you know, uh, proponents of doing it after they went down and saw Gallardia and the way they were treated down there and what they heard the members talk about concert. Uh, so the two biggest naysayers became the two biggest proponents to doing this. And then of course they loved rich high after that, you know? <laughs> so it was funny. Peter came out, did a presentation to the board. Board got convinced this was the right way to go. Everybody lined up and said, okay, Peter, come out and do the entire membership. And we had quite a quite a turnout for Peter's um, presentation, answered all the questions. There were, oh man, there were some real negative people out there. Accused him of, you know, you just want to come out and develop the property. And he had great responses, kept his Cool. I mean, there were more than a few times I'd like to have gone back and strangled somebody. Peter never once lost it. Uh, professional. And when it was all said and done, 
everybody in the crowd said, what in the world are we even contesting this for? And won the crowd over. We made a couple more uh, presentations, thanks to Peter giving us a uh, PR firm to help us with some of the presentations that we handed out. We did a couple town hall meetings. Uh, we uh, brought up the general manager from Glardia to help us with the town hall. And then we had the final, after we were through with all the town halls, and the town halls were lasting a couple hours because it was just one question after another accusing me of, you know, anything from getting a kickback to I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> that we set a vote and the vote came out uh, 90%, uh, 90% in favor of going with concert golf. So uh, the board was unanimous in our feelings that this was the right way to go. The membership, again, was 90% in favor of doing it, which I was absolutely impressed that we got that number, but I think we had really done our, our foot, our groundwork and, and, um, had all the answers, had good publications to hand out to the members. Again, we made a couple of, uh, town hall meetings with, with, uh, some concert golf, uh, people helping us with that. Fantastic, Rich. So what was your lasting impression of concert golf? What have they done there at Crestview for you guys? Well, the, the first thing they did is they came in and, and everything that they initially talked about, we put into uh, uh, works. In other words, if you remember, I said, I think our biggest issue is we just, we were totally lacking organization and leadership. That's what happened immediately. Uh, they, they brought in a couple people that were with concert, uh, that were a part of other clubs. Uh, the Gallardia general manager became the interim general manager. Uh, and we just kept getting people that were, you know, very talented in their field to come in and start reorganizing what we were doing. So that was the first big step that happened. And the, the next thing is we started, uh, we've totally, uh, gone on one of the 18 hole courses that it's a it's a wonderful golf course, but there were just a lot of areas that needed some major work. And again, we had no capital to do it. Now we have that capital and concert went to work on it immediately. And of course, the golfing membership is the biggest part of what Crestview is. You know, that was an extremely positive, uh, you know, visible step. The next thing to happen is a Went through the parking lots, refixed all the parking lots, fixed all the lighting, uh, made a number of uh, smaller repairs within the uh, clubhouse uh, itself. They uh, have since brought in, uh, made a, a, a exercise area in our tennis facility. They have plans for uh, the swimming pool. I just went around to the general manager uh, last week and walked the property with everything that's got planned. We're planning a big wedding reception area, uh, which this clubhouse and our property always was available. And we had a lot of weddings, but not at the level that we should for the property that we, we have. So, uh, and of course the, the next year, the golfing season, again, we're, we're planning membership, uh, functions, you know, getting the membership much more involved with, what's going on at the club. We're doing, we have, uh, 
we had a great tournament season. Um, the other part is the, the men's groups, uh, great participation, which was really before June 30th when concerts took over. It just wasn't there. And now, uh, and since all those members that had left as a result of, you know, cutting back services because we had run out of the capability of doing that have all come back now. Our membership is starting to grow again. And as a result, participation in events is also a direct reflection of that. So those are the, the initially, and they've only been there for six months. So. Wow. Well, for me, it's always refreshing to hear a company that actually does what they say they're going to do. So Rich, I wanted to say thank you so much for being on today. And Peter, thank you as well. Great to have you gentlemen on and hear your story about Crestview Country Club. Join us next month for another edition of Board Chats, presented by Concert Golf Partners. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Private Club Radio. Thanks for joining me once again. Thank you to Jeff Morgan and to Peter Nanula and Rich High, all great guests we had on today. Last reminder, check out privateclubradio.com slash book and get your hands on the pre-order copy of my new book, The Definitive Guide to Membership Marketing. Until next week, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by the Private Club Agency, the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.